0: Open them up to the book of James or your smartphones. Click on the book of James, and we are working our way through. We have about four Sundays left of the book of James, which will take us right to about Christmas after service. Yes, yeah, uh, for sure. We also post our messages online on YouTube. If you ever want to check those out, check those out there. we got about four weeks left. But today I want to talk about something, this opening thought. And it's kind of like unwritten rules of nature. It's like you can't do two things at once. There's certain things you can. But most of the wives here would say your husband can't watch TV and listen to you at the same time, right? You can't watch football and actually listen at the same time. It's impossible. You can't... uh, be a good employee and be texting on your phone all day right you can't be a good husband and be golfing all the time right you can't be i know you can't be on a diet and go to mcdonald's every day all right you can't root for michigan and ohio state all right you can't uh there's a lot of things you can't do two of, okay? And there's a lot of things we could talk about. But when you are, your focus is pulled in two different directions, right? Your focus is pulled in two different directions. And if your focus is pulled, your heart's inevitably going to be pulled in two directions. Jesus talks about, talks about this dual focus thing. And he says, one of the things he says in the Bible is that you cannot serve two masters, you're going to end up loving one and hating the other. So you cannot serve two masters. And it talks about today another truth, is that man can't b- love both God and the world. Can't love God and the world. And it talks about this. It says it can't happen. And many of you are like, well, I've been doing it and it's been okay for me. And, and maybe that's you, but I haven't met too many people that said that serving God and then loving the world has been ever worked out for them in the end. And it's always come to a halt. And this is the thought that James is talking about in his verse today. You know, it's like you love God, but you feel divided. Like you want uh, want a little sin in your life, but you also want God. And God's like, when you want that, you're a double-minded person. Your heart is divided between two things. And he's saying you either got to love one or love the other or you're going to love one, and you're eventually going to hate the other. So what I want to do is read this passage in its entirety, and then I'll pray. But James uh, 4, 1 says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning. In your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Let's pray. God, as we dive into the text this morning, um, we pray that your Holy Spirit's already teaching us before I, God, teach. I pray that your Holy Spirit's already planting the seed in our heart about what you wanna do this morning. I pray that you do a work in our hearts this morning. I pray that, God, if any of us have a heart that's divided, 60-40, 50-50, 90-10, 60-40, 50-50, 90-10, if our heart is divided in any way, God, help us solely give it all to you. Help us unpack the truths of this scripture and, and what you're trying to say to us as a church and to us individually as people. And Lord, I pray that we leave here changed. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I broke, it, I broke this passage down into three parts, okay? Okay. And it's kind of medical in some way, but the parts I broke it down to are the symptoms, the disease, and the cure. So the whole passage is broken down by the symptoms, the disease, and the cure. Because you know that if you have symptoms, it's not actually the problem. It's like the side effects of the real problem, okay? And so the first part, verse 1 through 3, is just the symptoms that James is seeing among the people and that you might see within yourself as well. But the symptoms are verse 1 through 3. And so it says this, "'What is causing fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives.'" that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So James is telling the people, there is something in your heart that is causing you to act out in a way. There's something that's in your heart going on that is causing you to act out, and what's happening isn't good. I'm seeing fights, I'm seeing quarrels, and I'm seeing you people act out in a way that's not pleasing to God. So what is causing this? What is causing you to act out? And then he said... Doesn't it come from your desires? So he's saying, what you desire is actually causing you to act out a little bit. Because not just your desires, but your desires are actually waging war inside of you. There's a battle going on in your heart. There's a battle going on in your heart, and it's causing you to be angry all the time, and it's causing you to lash out and have road rage, and it's causing you to just— Be mad at people in the church and it's causing you to be mad at people you work with and you're just angry and he says, why? And he said, isn't it because there's a battle going on in your heart? He said, isn't it that there's something going on inside of you and it has to do with your desires? It's causing fights. He's saying, you want and you don't have. Like you want something and you don't have it, have. So you covet. So, covet means to passionately want. You passionately want something, so you covet it. And what it's talking about here is you covet something that's not God. So, you're passionately pursuing something in this life that is not God, and it's causing sin to just come out of you. So, what do we passionately pursue? And just covet. I mean, you might have heard the word covet through the Ten Commandments. It says, don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's property. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. It's saying, don't passionately pursue these things. And if you want these things, bring it to the cross and give it to God and say, I no longer want these. Have you ever wanted something so bad you dream about it and you just like stay up at night and think about it? And sometimes those passions are good and sometimes those passions are evil. If any of you have ever played the Mega Millions lottery when it was like $500 million, I know I have at one time. I I don't play the lottery a lot, but at one time I bought a ticket because it was like almost a billion dollars. And I bought it. And I stayed up all night thinking how my life would change. Any of you ever did that? And you're just like, I'm going to pray. And God, if I get this money, I'm going to bless Jericho Road Church. I'm gonna bless every church, and the mission is gonna have a sauna room and a hot tub, and they're gonna these homeless folks are gonna be living good in Muskegon. And then you wake up the next day, and you didn't win, and you just feel like, ah, oh, back to my normal life. Back to my normal life. I didn't get what I, I didn't get. I didn't get rich like I thought I would. But you see, we do this sometimes. We passionately pursue things and and go after things and ask God, and James says, he says, you want, but yet you do not have. And that's a thing called futility. It's like you want it so bad, and you, and you go after it, and you run after it your whole life, but at the end, you don't have it. And so you're always wanting, but never getting. And you could see how that could drive a man insane, right? Drive a woman insane. You always want, but you never get. Everything that you want in life is just out of arm's reach And I'm getting too old, and I'm not going to have it at a certain age. I'm not going to be rich like I thought I was. I'm not going to have this marriage I thought I was. I'm not going to have the house I thought I would. I'm not going to have the car. I'm not going to have the retirement. And everything you wanted your whole life, you can't have. And he's saying, James is saying, don't you see the futility in that? Going after something your whole life that you're never going to attain, and it's causing you to be angry and fight and quarrel because you're always Unhappy, and what he's talking about here is is really emptiness. He's saying you're empty, and and like this is causing you to be empty all the time. This like you don't have you want, but you don't have, so it's making you empty, and you're not fulfilled, and so you're trying to fulfill your life with things other than God, and so that's usually the cause is you just get more and more empty. See, marriages right here break down because of this thought right here. It's because instead of finding my ultimate fulfillment in God who wants to just fulfill you with Him, you're looking for that in your spouse. And you get so angry at your spouse because they're not fulfilling you, because they're not Jesus. And so we're always like angry, like, you're not giving me what I want. You're not giving me what I want. You're not making me happy. And God's like, You got to find it through me first before you find it through anybody else. That's why I tell people that single folks, make sure the person that you are with loves Jesus. Because if they don't love Jesus, you're going to become their Jesus. And you're going to be a very bad Jesus. (laughs) Because you you can't be there for them 24-7. You're going to screw up and they're going to get angry with you. And they're going to realize they're not finding fulfillment with you. And so they're going to go somewhere else. I know, I've said this before, I know my wife finds f- fulfillment in Jesus and not through me, and I'm okay with that. I'm the number one man in her life, but Jesus is Jesus in her life, and I'm good with that. And she, I don't need to provide that for her, and she doesn't need to provide that for me. Now, this is a worn-out saying, and if you've been in church at any time, you've probably heard this saying. But we are all born with a God-sized hole in all of our hearts. We were all created in the image of God, and we are all created to have a relationship with God and to love God and be in communion with God. And if you are here today at church, you guys are in the right direction. You're in the right place. And we're all created with this, this hole in our heart that's God-sized. And, if you, and what we do is we try to fill this hole with other things other than God, but it doesn't fulfill the void. Money doesn't fulfill that void. Riches don't fulfill that void. Success doesn't fulfill that void. And it just makes you more and more empty. Until you fill that void with God, you're never going to find what you're looking for. And there's going to be this fight that you want but you don't have. And it uh, it says you don't have because you never went to God. You never asked God. And so he's saying, uh, you know, you know, it, did you ask God for it? This thing that you want, that you want so passionately, did you ask God for it? And you're like, no, I never went to God. So what it's saying here is like, you don't have because you never went to God and I've asked people this. Have you asked God for it? And they're like, no. And then the next verse down says, but you asked God and you didn't get it. And why? Well, you didn't ask the right way. You didn't ask the right way. Verse three, when you ask, you do not receive because you, you ask with wrong motives. And so you ever think that you've asked God for something, but you didn't get it? Why? Because you're asking with the wrong motives. And he's not going to give it to you because he knows that you're just going to spend it on your sinful pleasures. And so God knows what you need before you ask him. And so he brings up that thing. You don't receive because you don't ask. And you don't receive when you do ask because you ask with wrong motives. So there's this angst and struggle. And it causes sin to come out. It causes us to sin and we're like, why am I doing this? Why is there fights and quarrels among us? Why is there sin coming out? And so there's this emptiness, and the emptiness is the symptom, the symptom that comes out. And so the next portion, verse 4, is what I call the disease. So there's a symptom, and then there's the the disease that we have inside of us, even believers at times. But at verse 4, it says this You adulterous people, he's talking to believers here, you adulterous people. but shows favor to the humble. Very good verse. Very good passage right here. So the disease we have is adultery. Adultery. Now, it's very, it should be very clear to you why James uses the word adultery. Because he's not saying that you're an adulterous people per se, and he's not specifically talking about having an affair on your husband and wife. He's not talking about that affair. He's saying that because you have a divided heart, your divided heart means you're cheating on God. Like you're having an affair against God. And the metaphor is this, God is our husband and we are his bride. Like we're the bride of Christ, right? So he's our husband and God is our husband. And what we do is we go to other places for love and fulfillment, just like adultery in our marriages. They say, The marriage union between a husband and wife is a great example of our relationship with God. And he says that we become adulterous people because God wants to be with us. He wants to fulfill us. He wants to love us. He wants to be in communion with us, relationship with us. But we keep going to other things other than him. And he's saying that's adultery against me. He's saying you're going to this for fulfillment. You're going to this for life. You're going to this for love. And I want to give you all of this stuff. But just come to me. Come to me and I want to give it to you. God wants to spend time with us in the morning. He wants to spend time with us at night. He wants us. He loves it when we pray to him. He loves us recklessly. And he wants us to be with him. But we keep going to other places. And that's why he uses the word adultery. Adultery. And the kind of the thought of this whole message is is God is saying, can I be enough for you? Can't my love be enough? And we're like, no, it's not. It's not enough for me. I'm going to go try this. I'm going to go look for love here. I'm going to go look for love here. And what we're saying is, God, you're not enough. And I hope that this fulfills me, and it will for a short period of time. But whatever we go to other than God will come up empty and we'll go back to that emptiness we talked about in verses 1 through 3. And how many times have we said, no, God, I want something more. I want want this sin. I want this relationship that I know isn't good for me. I want this and I want this and I'm going to go after it right now, God, and I'm sorry. You're just going to have to wait. And it says this, and it's very important. Um, And it's up there. It says that friendship with the world is enmity towards God. So if we go to the world, and, and listen, I'm not going to get too much into this, but we got to love the world. we gotta, we got to reach out to the lost and love the world. But we don't become the world. We don't. And so he's saying, those of you who want friendship with the world and cozy up with the world and want everything the world has to offer, that you become, there's enmity with God. What that means is you become in an enemy relationship with God. When you seek the world other than God is you become, what it says here is you become an enemy of God. Think about that. Let's think of the weight of this. We're so used to listening to, you know, Hillsong and Elevation Worship and all these reckless love songs, but you ain't never going to hear a song about how we're an enemy of God. And all we hear about is God's love, but there's this truth here that when we turn our back on God, it's not like you're saying, hey God, I'm going to make you my enemy for a little bit. God's looking down on us and saying, you're my enemy now. You're my enemy because you've chose to leave me and be friends with the world. That should be heavy on us as a church. And that's why a few verses later, he's saying, turn your laughter into crying. Turn your excitement into mourning and just just submit yourself to God because you're laughing at sin. You're playing around with fire and it's going to destroy your whole life. And so... We think sometimes that we're like making God an enemy. No, God, when we become friends of the world, it says we become an enemy of God. And that's a dangerous place to be. But after all this, in verse 6, after all that, after he just says, if you want to go that route, you're going to be in an enemy relationship with me, in verse 6 it says this. James says, but, you know, it's always good when there's a big but in the Bible, all right? But he gives us more grace. The grace is like abundant. God's grace bank account is so full, you know, it's, it's always there. It never runs empty. It says, but he always has more grace. That's why it says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. He's saying if you humble yourselves before God, he'll pour out this grace. And if you come to God, this enemy relationship goes away and you become a child of God, a friend of God, if you humble yourself before God, he's never going to run out of grace for you, amen? He's never. So even though you become an enemy of God by going after the world, if you repent and say, I'm sorry, God, and humble yourself, his grace is there to forgive you and make you right again. That's the beauty of amazing grace. But what if I did this? God's grace is bigger than whatever you've done. There's nothing you can do to separate you from the love of God. There's no sin you can do to separate you from the love of God. Amen? Amen. And so that's what's so amazing about grace is we don't deserve it. But God has it for us because he loves us. And it says, on top of all this, he jealously yearns for us. He jealously yearns for each one of you. And verse, you know, verse 5 up there says that, and there's a better, or there's a different translation in the New King James Version, and I'll read it. Is, uh, in the New King James, it says this. Oh, that's the King James. I have the New King James, but it might be the same. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us, uh, yeah, I, I read the New King James. I don't read the King James, sorry. The Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. So the Holy Spirit that we have is like yearning jealously to have all of us. Not part of us, but He's yearning to have all of us. So God is jealously yearning for us. And we always hear this term of jealousy with God, but He's saying God's jealous of us because He wants us. He doesn't want half of our heart, He wants our whole heart. How many spouses out there would be okay with your wife just giving you half of her affection and half to another man? Or how many wives out there would be okay with your husbands giving you half affection? and half to another, uh, another woman. We wouldn't like it. We'd be jealous. And God is saying, I'm jealous for you because I want all of your affection. I want all of your love. And I don't want half of your heart. I want your whole heart. So that's the disease that we're struggling with. You can't have the world in God. You can't have it. As a people, if you love the world and like to dabble in it and have one foot in the world and one foot in the church, God hates that. He's saying, I hate it. I want all of you. I don't want a piece of you. And you realize why this futility and struggles inside of you. And so the last passage is I called the cure. Like, what's the cure for all of this? And James tells them. And in the last passage, uh, verse 7, it says this Submit yourselves then to God. So that's in a nutshell. Just submit yourselves to God. Put yourself under his submission, or put yourself in submission to God, whatever that may be for you, bow to him, call out to him, cry out to him, submit yourselves to God, and say, here I am, God, take everything. And then it says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, it means come to God for forgiveness of your sins what he means by wash your hands. Come to God for forgiveness of your sins. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I know this seems heavy, but it's about repentance. It's about bringing ourselves before God. Not caring what anybody thinks of saying, God, I just submit myself to you. I give myself to you. Do with me as you wish. Have it all. And I'm I'm no longer going to chase after things. Surrender all to God. And I'm going to give us all an opportunity to surrender ourselves to God this morning because that's what church is about. Amen? Surrendering our hearts and giving us space to do that here. It says, resist the devil and he will flee. The reason that you've been... uh, the devil's been around you so much because you've been entertaining him and not resisting him. When you, it, when you resist him, he goes away. He flees. Don't raise your hand to this, but how many of you feel far away from God? Like how many of you feel like God is not near to me and I just don't feel close to God? And God is saying, come near to me and I'll, and I'll be near to you. Come near to me, and I'm going to draw near to you, and we'll, we'll come back. We'll come back. Wash your hands. Ask forgiveness of all your sins. Repent. So this morning, I want to, as, us as a church to humble ourselves before God. Um, the worship team can come forward at this point and get set up for our last song, but during this last song, I want to give you an opportunity to come up to the altar now, I know we don't have an official altar, but this stage is, can be kind of like an altar this morning for us as a church. And what an altar is, is in the Old Testament, they would offer sacrifices at the altar. Any of you ever grow up in a church that had an altar up front where they would come up to the altar and bow at the altar? What that means is in the Old Testament, it's a symbolism. You, we would offer sacrifices at the altar to God. But the New Testament says, I don't want any animal sacrifices from you people. I just want your heart. And it says in the Bible, and Paul says, I've made myself a living sacrifice to God. I brought myself to the altar. So when we come to the altar, we offer ourselves to God and saying, God, use me. God, I want to submit myself before you. You can come to the altar for salvation. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can come forward and ask Jesus to come into your heart, and he will. Or if you just want to come forward and just humble yourself before God and saying, God, you know, maybe I've had a divided heart. Maybe I've chased after things I shouldn't. I just want to humble myself before you. And it says, God, when you humble yourself before God, he lifts you up. Maybe you're doing great. Maybe you're not steeped in sin and you just want to come forward and saying, God, I'm yours. Do with me as you wish. I'm ready for something from you and I want to offer myself to the altar. But I want to give you guys as a church an opportunity to come to the altar and Bring yourself before God humbly. So let's pray. God, I I come before you and we look at this verse. The symptoms are we're empty and it's causing us to sin. The problem is there's a divided heart. And we've cheated on you in some way. Lord, and I pray for all of us here who've been doing both, the world and the church. We've been, we've been loving Jesus, but we've also been loving sin, and we need to make a change. I pray for those folks. Pray that they come forward and just submit themselves to you, God. I pray for all of us, God, that we all have this humble posture. We're saying, I don't know it all, I'm not perfect, and I just humble myself before you. And I pray that we could do that, God, and just give ourselves to you again. Lord, we know that you want to do a work in this church. You're priming us for a good work. You don't want us to contain our love inside these walls, but you want it to flow out into our workplaces and our neighborhoods and our families. So you want to do a work with us. God, I pray that none of us have a divided heart anymore, that today is a start for having a singular heart, a singular passion for you and a love for you, God. Your word says when we draw near to you, you come near to us. So we long for that, God. We long for the nearness of you. So we thank you now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,